All right, we're doing good? Good, are you all glad it's Thanksgiving week already? Any big plans for anyone? No? Now listen, this is, there's only like 20 of you, so you've got to talk to me today. Thank you. I can always count on you, Caleb. So our family, as soon as I get done preaching, I am going to the house, and we are putting all the kids in the car and going to Tennessee for a couple of days, which will be good. Um, the only thing that's good about Tennessee is the mountains, not football teams. Um, but <laughs> So Luke 12 is where we're going to be. Um, so we will make this short because I want to get on the road and go have fun with my family and not be here with you guys, so we will get after it. Did I say that out loud? Just kidding. Um, I know a lot of, not a lot, but maybe some of you guys were concerned uh, when you were worshiping and uh, saw that there was no bread, and so I just want you to know I stood in the back and prayed, and now look, there's bread for communion, so you're welcome. Sorry, this is, this is going to go off script all the way through, just so you guys know, Luke 12. Uh, another thing I noticed while you guys are flipping, that if you don't own a vest or anything plaid, uh, you're wrong, go get some. You cannot be a member of the branch unless that's what you wear. Yeah, yeah, bye. Actually, you guys can go ahead and be dismissed. Um, so Luke 12, I had a counseling, semi-counseling session with one of the college students this week, and, and it, I guess this, I just got to get used to this. Anyone knows me knows I'm pretty low mercy, I'm, I, but I'm trying. I'm trying to get better and actually care about your problems. Um, and so this student was just pouring out his heart that he had just he had put all into this relationship and she had broke his heart. And so um, we were just kind of working through what it looks like to get your heart broken. And I've never had it happen because look at me, but evidently it happens to some of them. And so, so long story short, the core of the conversation that we were getting to is that where he was finding his satisfaction. Uh, that his satisfaction should not be wrapped up in this momentary relationship, but where does that true satisfaction actually come from? Uh, I know there's going to be a generation gap here, but uh, did anyone ever see the movie Jerry Maguire? Okay, so just a ridiculous quote from there, like, you complete me, like, that's what we're doing. I know Matt and Sarah just got engaged, congratulations. You guys, yeah, before I bash on you, everyone clap, cool. You guys will not complete each other. Marriage does not complete each other. That's not how this thing works. That full satisfaction is never found in your significant other. Now, married people, you should be saying amen at this point because you've figured that one out. But here's what takes place. Uh, we can bust on relationships and new relationships, but, but even some of the older ones in the room, maybe it's not relationships that we're looking for satisfaction, uh, but it's always something. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a pay raise. Maybe it's once I get to this level, once I have kids, once I, uh, my kids get out of the house, once I get to retirement, then I'll be satisfied. And if we're not careful, then we get all these possessions and then we die and we're never actually fully satisfied. There's this quote from Mark Twain I've been chewing on all week. Um, the civilization is a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. Let me try that one more time. Civiliz civilization is a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. So we're constantly chasing all these things that are going to bring us satisfaction. Once I just get here, once I get to this, like, I mean, just a cart on the table. I just think in my mind, if I could get a 2017 Silverado, I would be fully satisfied. Anyone else? Okay, it's just not going to happen, but that's where I constantly keep going back to, and we all have that. We all have this, like, this feeling inside of us. If I just get here, if I own this, if I get to this level, if this circumstance happens, then I will be fully satisfied. 
And what Jesus is going to teach us is no, like that's, that's not the case at all. So Luke, tw- uh, Luke 12, yeah, sorry. Luke 12, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Luke 12, 13. <clears throat> Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to them, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? Verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones there, and I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds good, right? Verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Verse 21 is just where we need to underline. We'll camp out the rest of today. So is this the one who lays up treasure for himself, is not rich towards God? So let's pray, and we're just going to really try to understand what does it mean to be rich towards God. Father, we love you. We're grateful for you. We're excited for what you're doing here. Um, God, we're grateful that we do have Thanksgiving break, that we get to uh, get around family and friends. Father, I know a lot of us celebrated as a missional community this week, and uh, Father, it just feels good, the family that you're growing here. So thanks for all that you're doing. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for having patience with us, being merciful and graceful towards us. And Father, we love you, but thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, let me just say two things. One, there's not a countdown going in the back, which is really bad for you guys. And two, as I was writing this sermon, um, I, I'm just really proud of our church in general. Like, uh, I know we're going to have sins and struggles along the way as a church, but just by and large, I just don't think this is ours. So as we're preaching through Luke, don't worry about it, Mackenzie. I'm, I'm I'm, I like it. That's free for last. I'm going. Um, <clears throat> so I just, we're going to have struggles and we're going to have temptations and sins. But by and large, what I see coming out of our church is not this. I don't think that we, uh, as a people, covet a lot. Um, you guys are some of the most generous people I know. So uh, there's always ways that God can grow us and sanctify us. Don't get me wrong. We need to study the text as we're teaching through Luke. That's why we go um, expositorily. That's why we teach line by line so that we don't miss over stuff. But uh, as I'm writing this, I'm just really encouraged by you guys. Um, so as, just as we're going through, just like, don't pat yourself on the back. Uh, but You guys are doing pretty well on this. So, uh, verse 11. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, my brother, tell my brother to divide um, his inheritance with me. But Jesus said, Man who made me a judge, their arbitrator over you. Now, this seems kind of weird. Jesus is teaching, Jesus is hanging out with all these crowds, and this guy just interrupts everything. Uh, Now, money makes people go crazy, amen? So, this guy, I mean, you actually said amen. I like this. Uh, when, when I talk about money, you guys, amen. Okay, here we go. Maybe I do need to preach this sermon. So um, a lot of times that judges and rab- rabbis would be the judges over this kind of, why'd you put it up? Now, okay, now the countdown is going, and I'm going to be reminded that I've got to stop soon. Um, <clears throat> so judges or rabbis would be the judge of this kind of situation. 
So I'm just like right in here, if we had two brothers within the church, <clears throat> they're fighting over inheritance. They would come to the pastor and they would say, okay, here's what's happening. So it's not that uncommon that this guy brought it up to Jesus. He said, listen, you're a teacher, you're a rabbi, you need to solve this. But he walks in the tone of tell my brother what to do. I'm 100% wrong, my brother's 100, or I'm right, my brother's wrong, you need to fix this. Tell him what to do to fix this situation. Um, Jesus had no interest in getting into this, but because he actually responds with man, not friend, not brother, man, which uh, in the Greek is it's just not a welcoming tone. He's basically calling him a stranger, like, get out of here, I, I don't have time to mess with this. But he knew where he was going. Jesus knew where he was going uh, because his tone starts to turn, even though he said, man, his tone starts to change a little bit in verse 15. And he said, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, doesn't it just frustrate you sometimes when you read the Bible or, or when you have a conversation and you feel like just no one understands you? So Jesus is taking this situation that on the surface this guy is so worried about and he's getting him to lift his eyes up just a little bit more and say, no, 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 you're focusing on the wrong problem. You're thinking about the wrong thing. For us, here's typically what happens. Uh, We'll get to a situation where we say, this is the worst moment ever and no one can ever understand this, right? So whatever's happening to me, this is the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. And we also, because of that, we fall into this trap that no one will ever understand this situation. No one can ever empathize, sympathize, comfort me. No one knows what's going on. And when that feeling starts coming up, uh, typically we're focusing on momentary afflictions. That's when we typically need to step back and say, okay, God, what are you actually working here? Because this seems like the worst thing ever. Seems like your son's about to be murdered on the cross, but didn't the greatest Like, aren't we here because of that? So anytime we get to this moment where the brother thought, this is the worst situation ever, I'm going to get cheated out of all this money, Jesus is going, no, slow down, take a breath, because typically through suffering, I'm teaching you something. Through circumstances, I'm trying to grow you, I'm trying to mold you into what I want you to be as a son or as a daughter. So Jesus is saying, no, no, take care, care, be on guard, a double warning, saying, slow down. Listen to what I'm telling you, because your situation is not what you think it is. So covetousness, what does it mean to covet? Here's the definition. An unquenchable thirst for getting more money, or so getting more of something we think we need in order to be truly satisfied. An unquenchable thirst for getting more and more of something we think we need in order to be truly satisfied. Now, our mind typically goes to what? Money. I even slipped up reading the definition. That's what, but it's not always money. I think power can almost always trump money. We can be poor, but if we think we're powerful, we're okay. Or what about position? That we think we need to be moving up the corporate ladder that we deserve more and more and more. I just I love and hate this word, unquenchable thirst. So what does it mean to covet? Have an unquenchable thirst for what you think will satisfy you. That's what it means to covet. Now, although, I, 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 yes, you guys are doing well in this area, and although 
Um, I, I think we're doing well, and I don't want to just gravitate towards money. I, I feel like I need to put a pin in something real fast, because um, here's the tendency. Here's where a lot of us will go to. Um, like, I, I know, like, yes, we live in America and all that, but I, I really am broke. Like, I really am. Like, covetous of money, like, that's not my deal, because, like, I'm a college kid, or, like, I'm you new college and career. I'm just, this is not my battle. Money is not my struggle. Let me just read a couple statistics for you. Does anyone in here have $2,200 worth of assets? Not cash in the bank. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> I mean, you, you can. $2,200 worth of assets. So again, just to make sure, not just cash in your bank, but if you got everything you had together and sold it, would it be worth more than $2,200? If so, you're the top 50% of the world as far as wealth. If you made $1,500, 100 dollars $1,500 last year, you're in the top 20% of the world's income earners, $1,500. If you have sufficient food, decent clothes, and live in a house and an apartment, and have a, release, uh, re- have a reasonable, reliable means of transportation, you're among the top 15% of the world. If you have $61,000 worth of assets, you're the top 10% of the world. If you earn 25000 or more annually, you're top 10% of the world's income earners. If you earn more than 50000 annually, you are top 1% of the world. So our temptation is to go, and, and I feel this too, like, uh, yes, people around me are rich. I'm not rich. But let's just take a breath here and, and get a little bit broader than just our culture in the South. Compared to the world, yeah, we are incredibly rich. We have a lot. So let's not say that we don't have money or money is not an issue for us, because we do. Compared to the world, we do. So Jesus drops this bomb uh, at the end of verse 15. Uh, I believe it's 15. Yep, end of verse 15. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. For our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. But here's the trap that we always fall into. Uh, More of what doesn't satisfy me is going to satisfy me. Anyone else? So I know this right now, this money that I have is not satisfying me, but maybe if I just get more, then I'll be satisfied. I know the car that I drive does not satisfy me, but if I get a nicer car, it'll satisfy me. I know this education that I have right now does not satisfy me, but maybe if I get more. So we constantly fall into the trap. Not only we don't like what we have, but we fall into the trap of in the future, when I get there, things will get better. So our eyes are so focused on the future and where we're going that we're so often blinded around what's actually here. And I know I've said this all the time. Uh, People like, oh, money doesn't bring happiness. Okay, try me. I'm game for that challenge. Give me a couple million and I'll see what takes place. Right? That's covetous. That's this unquenchable thirst for more that when I get there, I'm going to be satisfied when, man, my family's taken care of. Like we're taking a trip today. Our family is fine, but we just fall into this trap because I don't have as much as this person, or if I had this and I'd be happy, I'd be satisfied. College students, we do the same thing. Once I get this degree, once I get out of this stage, then I'll be satisfied. Adults, we do the same thing. Once I get here in my job, once I'm making this amount, once I have this much in my IRA or my 401k, then I'll be fully satisfied. Are any of those things wrong? No, and that's where Jesus is going to get us to. Verse 16. 
And he told this parable, the land of the rich man produced plentiful. Stop right there. Is it wrong that the land produced plentiful? No. Is it wrong that we have money and resources? No. So we've got to put a big distinction in there lest we just all sell everything we have and get in sackcloth and just hang out. That's not what the text is teaching. It's not wrong for us to have. Verse 17, he thought to himself, uh, now, before I read this little monologue of parable, just pay attention to the eyes and me's. Just count for me the eyes and me's in this story. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you talk in third person, you have ample goods to lay up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Eleven. Eleven eyes and mys in that story. Is there anything other than him talking about himself? No. Land of plentiful eyes and mys. This is where the covetousness, this is where the deceit, this is where the satisfaction really starts to get us. I'm going to take care of me and mine first. I'm going to relax. I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry with what I have. Now here's just the big question that we have to wrestle with. Who made the land plentiful? Now I know that he farmed in straight rows and he did everything he was supposed to do. And he watered. And, but who made the seeds grow? I mean, we see this all over the place. I mean, just let's pick on professional athletes for a second. It is not normal for you to be seven foot five, right? I was reading the stats about a football player yesterday. It's not normal that you can bench 450, uh, clean 395, and squat 600. That is not normal. Can you do that? Right? No. It's, it's not normal. Okay? So we even look at these guys and go, man, they worked so hard at it. There's so many professional athletes that just walked on at high school and just went on with it. Yes, is there ethic? Is there discipline? But at the end of the day, I am not a professional baseball player because I didn't have the genes for it. And we can go all the way through this. The land was plentiful because God made it plentiful. Athletes are athletes because God made them athletes, right? It's not because of anything else. Yes, work ethic matters, sure, but that is how they are wired and designed to be. We cannot forget that. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, aka you're dead. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So this one who lays up for treasure, sorry, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We all know this cliche that you don't see a hearse with a luggage rack, right? That's this overly used cliche, but there's, there's something to wrestle with here. Rich towards God. It's, again, where we want to kind of land for the rest of the morning. What does it actually mean to be rich towards God, to be fully satisfied in God? Not saying you cannot have possessions, but what does it mean to be rich towards God, to be satisfied, to be full in him? 
So if you have a Bible, flip over to Matthew 6 for me real fast. We're going to read a passage that will help us kind of understand this. Matthew 6, 19. Just a simple definition as you guys are flipping. To be rich in God means that you're not satisfied with anything else. To be rich in God means that you're not satisfied with anything else other than him. We understand the trap, we understand the lie that more of what doesn't satisfy will not satisfy. That it's only Christ that will satisfy. Matthew 6, uh, 19 through 24. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Anyone want to read? We don't have to, but if anyone wants to read, go for it. So, thank you so much. There's a lot going on here, and I know Jesus ends with God in money, but I would say God in things, God in possessions, that we cannot serve both. We cannot try to chase satisfaction from what the world has to offer and be pleasing God at the same time. Now, again, we have to stop here because I want to keep bringing this back. Does this mean that we can't have things? No. What is, where the trap starts to fall into is do those things satisfy us? Are we getting these things to bring satisfaction? So here, here's just a couple illustrations, two of them from this week. Uh, anyone, where's my MC Central? MC Central, okay. So went over there Tuesday night, uh, had Thanksgiving dinner with them because uh, all these MCs were having Thanksgiving dinner. And like, do we want to cook or do we want to go over to their MC? Like, yeah, let's go to their MC. Uh, actually, I got invited, but... Uh, that's what I'm telling everyone. So got over there. <clears throat> Dewey Moy, who is the one that hosts that MC, um, kept re- every time my wife and I would compliment his house, he'd say, wait, wait, this is God's house. Blah, 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 blah. Keep talking. He talks so much. Um, <laughs> we keep talking. I don't, I, don't, I don't mean that in a negative way. I love it. Every time. Man, thank you so much. No, no, this is, this is God's house. There's an apartment up top that we, if you guys want to come use it, we'll watch your kids. You guys can just get away. This, this is God's house. Every single time, he would not let us get away with saying, your house. This is God's house. This is, he has given this to us. Now, is it in a really nice part of Dahlonega? Yes. Is it a nice house? Yes. But does he have the understanding that this house does not satisfy me? We're not here for our own satisfaction. This is God's house. I had another guy pull me aside this week and say, hey, man, I just want you to know God has blessed me in a career that I make a good amount of money. So anything you guys need for the church, you just let me know. Anything you guys need for your community, just let me know. So here's a guy 
that has, God has given him a talent, given him the way he thinks and operates, has a great job that brings great income, but he's going, listen, this isn't, you let me know. Let me know what we can do. Oh, we have another friend at our last church that had this beautiful lake house. I mean, it was incredible right on Lake Lanier. And uh, every weekend, he was letting churches and youth groups and ministry organizations use it. So eventually, to where they just moved out. They went and bought another house. And so they used this house during the summertime. Um, you can check it out. It's called the Ark at Lanier. It is massive. They use this house during the summertime, and they make a ton of money through the summer renting out. Because I think it's got something like 42 beds. I mean, it's insane. They rent this house out through the summer and make so much money that it covers all the expense so that uh, the other nine months of the year, ministries like the branch could go use it for free. So here's that organization going, hey, listen, or not organization, here's a family going, I, God has blessed me. I have a mind that I can make a bunch of money through stock trades and stuff, but this isn't about me. We're going to move out of this house and use this house as a ministry expression for the church, for the body. This is what it starts to look like when we go, man, uh, this stuff does not satisfy me, and I have a bunch of possessions, and I have a bunch of money, uh, but what's mine is yours. Take it. It's, it's yours. This is what we start to think through that I'm not trying to pursue. I'm not trying to make my stash bigger. What can I take with what I already have and bring glory to God? This is not my house. This is God's house. This is not my money. This is God's money. What can I do? I'm not trying to chase this ladder. I'm not trying to uh, make something of myself that's not true. Now, Matthew 25, you don't have to flip there. Matthew 25, uh, Jesus introduces the idea of the parable of the talents, not tenants, talents. I know those are confusing, not for anyone else, but maybe just for me. Uh, Matthew 25, the talents. And so the story goes that um, one gets one, one gets five, one gets ten. And what Jesus gets frustrated with is not the guys that invested it or lost it, but the guys that bury it. The guys that hoard all that God has given him. But he celebrates the one that invested it and doubled it, tripled it. Those are the ones that Jesus celebrates. So we had to stop and consider for a second, what has God given me and how am I using it? What do I currently have and is God using it for his glory? Or, because the opposite would be, it's, it's covetousness. It's unquenchable thirst for more and more and more that's not going to satisfy. So I think it would be good for us at some point this week just to go back and read the parable of the talents and try to understand, okay, I might just have one. That there are those around me that have 10, 5, 25, but I just have one. And am I holding on to this one so tightly that God can't even use it for his glory? Or am I going, no, here's what I have and whatever I have, do with it what you want. Parable of the talent. So um, again, if I can just keep going back to this, uh, because I think that this is where we are as a church, uh, what's wrong with having it? Nothing. Praise God if you have it. Praise God if you, the way you think, the way that you create, the way that you makes you a bunch of money. You can go online to the branch right now and go to give. I'm just kidding. But seriously, that's where it is. Because here's the opposite. If there wasn't anything eternal happening, if there wasn't anything after death, if we just had everything we had, and then once we die, we die. There's nothing moving forward. There's nothing going on. There's nothing taking place after this, then it would sound a lot like 1 Corinthians 15. If the dead are not raised, then Paul says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If the dead are not raised, meaning if Christ did not defeat death, if there's not eternity, if there's not heaven for us after this, then let us eat, drink, and tomorrow we die. 
And I'm not trying to sound cool and hip, but there's this whole YOLO culture happening that this is just how the world operates. No wonder the world thinks, yeah, let's do whatever we want to right now because there's nothing coming after us. And the church should be the model for this. By the way we live, by the way we spend our money, by the way we spend our talents, the church should go, man, I don't, I don't or the world should look at us and go, I don't, I don't understand why you keep doing what you're doing. It doesn't make sense to me why you live this way, why you're so sure that if you invest your talents now, there's going to be fruit later. Why don't you just spend that now? Why don't you just stop worrying about that and enjoy that now? And Paul says, yeah, if there's nothing after this, then sure, let's eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Let's just have fun. Let's YOLO, if you will. So what does it look like? And, and I know for me, as I'm writing the sermon, uh, there's a lot of things that we can say, like, like, I mean, just all cards on the table. I am uh, a little, a little, and I don't mean to, to minimize this word, um, but I just, I like to take care of my things. Anyone else? Like, I'm very particular about my things, and I see my mom smiling because it's her fault. That is why. Growing up, we didn't, when I was little, we didn't have a bunch of money, and so uh, everything that we had, I had to take care of. Uh, and now to this day, like trying to have four kids and take care of things is the worst idea ever. Just doesn't happen. Um, so like for me, and I think this is just the way that God operates. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had the whole stomach bug virus thing. And, and so of course, right before it all took place, my wife thought it was a great idea, not knowing what was coming, um, that we should give our kids red Christmas Oreos. Uh, food coloring versus vomit is a great combination. Um, so all, I'm not trying to get too graphic, but it's great. Uh, all the vomit that was in our house is bright red, okay? So, of course, my man Grady pukes right in the middle of the floor, uh, and there's this huge red stain that's just kind of hanging out in our carpet. Now, we worked hard, and we saved enough to when we bought that house, we were able to put brand new carpet in there. But do you know what happened? Now, I, again, if you're part of a missional community, you probably don't know this. Um, but having that many people in my house stresses me out, and I'm watching every time. If there's a crumb that falls off your chin and into my carpet, I see it. <laughs> if you, like, put a drink on top of uh, my, we have an old record player uh, without a coaster, I'm watching you. <laughs> I see everything that's in our house. But all joking aside, when the stain happened in our carpet, I was a lot more free Friday night when everyone was over because it's just carpet. So we try to protect everything. We try to keep it as new as possible. But I think the best thing for us, some of us, is to get a knife and put a new scr or scratch right down the side of your new truck. I think for some of us, uh, the best thing is to back out of a driveway when you get a new car and hit a mailbox. And just let it run, <laughs> just let it run all the way down. But seriously, the best thing for some of us is to stop idolizing the things that we have. Let something bad happen to it, and you go, oh, yeah, it's just things. It's just stuff. We hold so much stuff higher. I've never been more, we had almost 40 people at our house Friday night, and I did not care about anything. For the first, I mean, genuinely, for the first time, I was able just to invest and hang out with people because my son puked on the carpet. <laughs> Weird illustration, Yes. But for some of us, we just need to start holding some things a lot lighter, right? It's, it's just carpet. What does it really matter? It's just a car. It's just my house. 
And we can work this logic all the way back. Did we have the money to put a new carpet in our house? Yeah, but where did that come from? Where did, where, where did that, I mean, I, I'm not joking here. Uh, no one in my family ever wants to be on a stage, ever. So what happened in me that I love standing in front of people and preaching the gospel? Does any, do I have any family members that are pastors, any great-grandpas or grandpas? No, they were all farmers. They were in their fields by themselves, introvert as anything. That's where I come from. So what am I going to stand and say, okay, any money that God chooses to bless me was from my talents and my, no, I had a speech, I got kicked out of speech in fifth grade because they're like, oh, you're good, go ahead. We can't fix your tongue, so stop it. (laughs) Seriously, you'll hear it now, I cannot say L's. L's are from the devil. My daughter, my wife, I was telling this to Evan, they have a daughter named Lily. My wife wanted to name our Auburn Lily. Like, do you hate me? Do you want me to go around calling my daughter Willie for the rest of her life? What's your name, Lily or Willie? Because your dad says Willie all the time. Yeah, that's what would take place if we would have named our daughter Lily. And, and that's just me for all of us. Are the skill sets that you have really from you? Or are they from God? Is your ability to make money from you or from God? What are we doing? How lightly are we holding the things we have going, God, you gave this to me, so whatever you want from it, it's yours. Here's what I want for all of us. If we were to go all the way back to the beginning of the story, I would want us to go to Jesus and say, my brother's not dealing this inheritance fairly, but I just want to follow you. I don't care. What if their question, when we pursue Jesus, if we were that brother and said, man, my brother just jipped me out of a million dollars worth of inheritance, but can I just stay with you for a while? How much different would that question be? If we went to Jesus and said, hey, I I don't need any of this. I just want you. You are the one that brings satisfaction, that I've been chasing the things of the world. And I I know there's some arguing with me right now in your head. And here's what I would say. Chase it. If you think I'm wrong, pursue it. If you think that more money does bring happiness, then go for it. And I promise you, this church community will be around in 5, 10, or 20 years when that ends badly for you. I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. Satisfaction only comes in Christ. So two questions as we end. What do you have that you don't realize that you have because you are so worried about other people's stuff? So what is it that you own, that you possess, that you don't realize that you're not grateful for because you're so worried at looking at what other people can do or say or own. I mean, when we sit around our Thanksgiving table this week and give thanks, what is maybe the small things that we're going to neglect thanking God for because I don't, well, I don't have this? W- what is it? Maybe the second one. Uh, once you realize what that first thing is, what are you going to do with it? It's not bad to own it. What do you intend to do with it? Are you going to be the farmer in the parable that took all of his stuff and built these huge silos and put it in there and so he could sit back and eat, drink, and be merry? Or is God asking you, hey, here's, here's what I want you to do with this. What are you going to do with it? One of the things, again, while I don't know that this is our struggle, 
our MC, and I'm not trying to boast, I'm just so jacked up about this, raised $600 for the Thanksgiving meals that we're passing out on Tuesday. $600. One, one MC. I don't know what the others have done. We live in a time and place where we've got to look outside of ourselves and see those around us. I mean, if you heard some of the stories about the, school, the kids within the school system and what they deal with here in Lumpkin County, it would, it would just, wait, we're fighting about what? We're talking about what? So what would it look like for all of us to come together and say, no, not, not my will but yours, not my stuff but yours, God. You've put us here in Lumpkin County for a reason. What is it? What does it look like? Is this going to make us uncomfortable? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But is there going to be satisfaction there? 100%. I'll end with Acts 20, 33 through 35. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourself know that these hands minister to my necessities to those who, have, who are with me. And all things I've shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus himself says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, do you know what always should come with a good saying? It's action. So what we're about to do as we pray is we're about to take communion that said, Jesus said, I'm going to give everything. I'm going to give my life so that you can receive eternal life. That I'm going to die a death that I don't deserve to die so that you can have life forever. So as we're wrestling, as we're praying through this Thanksgiving, what are we actually thankful for? As we dream and as we create, as we think about what we're thankful for, I would just challenge us to say, and what am I doing with it for the gospel? And don't let it be guilt-driven. Let it always come back to what we're about to celebrate is death, Christ on the cross. He modeled it for us. So now what can we do with him? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you just don't tell us what to do and then leave us alone or you don't guilt-trip us into uh, anything, Father, but you modeled it for us. Father, you died a death that you didn't deserve. that you didn't chase the things of the world that could have satisfied, even though Satan tempted you. God, you didn't do any of that, Father. You, You came and you died so that we could have satisfaction in you. So, Father, I just pray for us as a church that, God, what would it look like for us to come together Even though we have a bunch of different things, some of us have money, some of us have time, some of us have personality, some of us have toys, some of us, we all have, what would it look like for us to all come together and say, for your glory, for Dahlonega, Father, we want to see this place changed. God, you've given us this. Thank you for that. Thank you for um, the joy that that brings, Father, but that's not going to satisfy us. Only you will. So what now do we do? Father, you've been plentiful with us. So what are you asking us to do? And God, let us not run out of this room from a guilt trip and start giving things away, Father, but let us stop and be still and listen. Father, let us show appreciation and thankfulness for you, the giver of all gifts, for what you've given us.
Father, let us, let us examine all that you've given us. And, and for those things that we have overlooked or forgotten about or not given thanks for, uh, Father, let us stop and start there. Father, thank you for this. God, let us not overlook anything because we deserve nothing. And Father, from that, let us all beg to ask the question, what then do we do with what you have given us? God, I'm, I'm grateful for this church. God, I'm grateful that this is something that we are already working through and modeling and living out. Father, I'm grateful that, that you have brought this group of people together to really see change take place in Dahlonega. God, let us push each other towards you. Father, let us push each other towards holding everything we have with an open hand to see you and your name and your renown be famous here. So God, as we do come into Thanksgiving, um, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you allow me to lead this thing. I'm thankful that you've brought this people together. God, and I... And I just dream about the impact that is going to take place here in Dahlonega because I've already seen it. God, I know you're here. I know you're orchestrating good works for us. And I just pray that we are bold and courageous and step forth in those good works. So as we take communion, let us remember, Jesus, who you are and what you've done for us and what you're continuing to do for us. And you are the only one that satisfies forever. So it's in your name that we pray. Amen.